Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome in. Soccer Morning. Here we go. Ready. Ready. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting week. One of, the we- one of those weeks where uh, your brain just does not want to kick into full gear. But we have a lot to cover. It, uh, it never stops, the world of football. Today is a very interesting day. We've got news out of Zurich. We've got lots of results for the weekend to cover, uh, the implications of said results. We're going to do all of that today. Two very special guests, two very good guests on today's program. We're bringing back Ross Dunbar. Uh, talk some German football with him. Pep Guardiola officially to leave this summer from uh, from Bayern Munich uh, to be replaced by Carlo Ancelotti. We'll get into that uh, the situation in the Bundesliga. Hertha Berlin sitting in third place. The break now kicking in in Germany. Uh, and we'll take stock of the league here as they go into their winter uh, hibernation uh, and get ready for the second half of the season come January. Also on today's program... At 9.40 a.m. Eastern Time, Simon Evans, he'll join, he'll join us from Zurich where he is there, uh, covering the fallout from the FIFA scandal, the latest bit of news from the FIFA scandal that will lead us right into a rundown of today's news. We start with Sepp Blatter and Michelle Platini banned eight years by FIFA, FIFA's ethics committee for their, uh, their agreement, the, uh, the, the situation that led to a two million Swiss franc payment to um, Michel Platini from FIFA as part of a uh, an oral agreement, an oral contract that that Blatter says was in place from all, as far back as 1999. The payment was made in 2011. At a press conference after the announcement was made, Seb Blatter, uh, with a bandage on his face, apparently had a mole removed, said, "I'll I'll be back." So he's uh, yeah, maybe he doesn't understand the yeah, uh, calling himself a punching ball. He made uh, very he made statements. Basically saying it's everybody else's fault and not his. I'm really sorry. I am sorry. I am sorry that I'm still somewhere a punching ball. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm as president of FIFA this punching ball. I am sorry for football. I'm sorry for the 400 plus FIFA members. I'm sorry. I am sorry about how I am treated in this world of humanitarian qualities. I am sorry for the Federation Internationale de Football Association. But I am also sorry about me how I'm treated in this world. The man has no ability to understand his culpability in the situation. He called this a gentleman's agreement, said they thought he were, they were in the clear. He also said he cannot be responsible for uh, the corruption in FIFA. Again, passing the buck, uh, blood. Uh, for his part, Michel Platini has called it a real farce, said it's a pathetic cover-up, and has uh, obviously said he will... Um, appeal the decision as will Sepp Blatter. Both of these men very upset by their eight-year bans. This essentially ends Sepp Blatter's role in FIFA. At his age, it's very difficult to imagine him uh, unless this is overturned, and why would it be? It would be hard to imagine him coming back from this. As for Michel Platini, it probably ends his bid to be pre- FIFA president uh, come February of next year. As I mentioned, Bayern Munich announced the departure of Pep Guardiola this summer. He'll leave the club. Carlo Ancelotti Will succeed the Spaniard. What's next for Pep? That's the big question that will be hanging over the head of every big club in the world. Uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, uh, many others for that for that matter. Manchester City, as, as a matter of fact, as well. In fact, the Mario Mario round will be fascinating. Manuel Pellegrini's name connected to Chelsea today in a rumor that I saw. So it'll be interesting. Barcelona has won the Club World Cup. They won three uh, three nothing. Excuse me. In the final over South American champion River Plate, Messi started the scoring. Luis Suarez hit for two. Uh, the Club World Cup is uh, a thing that people do out uh, that somewhere. I mean, do we are we are we up, uh, like are we excited about this? By the way, Sepp Blatter congratulated Barcelona on their Club World Cup win before he went into this to his statements lamenting the fact he got caught. I like this, Mike on Twitter. I'm sorry I got caught. That's essentially what what, what Sepp Blatter's been saying for the past. I don't know, a year? It's almost been a year, right? Since, uh, the FIFA scandal started to unfold. Uh, now we, uh, we'll, we will see what happens. And, and, and keep in mind, and this is a distraction, and FIFA corruption is something that needs to be addressed, but it's been pointed out by, by some very smart people, Maridi Morungi, my friend, um, from Fusion, uh, and Soccer Gods, that despite the fact that this seems like a big deal, that Bla- uh, Bladder and Platini, uh, being banned is certainly 
the schadenfreude there, what really needs to be uh, focused on um, are the continuing issues, like the 7,000 people who have died on the job building Qatar's World Cup for 2022. That certainly should be top of mind. Uh, we should be continue. And, and the current um, the current FIFA president, Hayatu himself, has been brought up on corruption charges in the past. So it's not as though everything's cleaned out, hunky-dory, let's move forward. Results from the weekend, Chelsea winning their first game since Jose Mourinho's firing, 3-1 over Sunderland at Stamford Bridge. Other Premier League results, Everton falling to Leicester, 2-3 at Goodison Park. Manchester United losing to Norwich. Watford, 3-0 over Liverpool. I saw some video of, I didn't get to watch that game, I saw some video of Jurgen Klopp. He did not look very happy, I imagine. Uh, he's not very happy today. Arsenal and Manchester City today, big clash on a Monday. In Spain, Real Madrid dropped 10 on nine-man Rayo Vallecano. This comes, this came after, it was such a weird game. Uh, they were down 2-1 inside of 10 minutes, or sorry, 12 minutes. And fans at the Bernabeu were booing Real Madrid, booing Rafa Benitez. Clearly it's been a really weird year for, for Real Madrid. Mostly negative feeling around the club. Of course, they're never going to drop too far down the table in Spain, but they aren't challenging for a title at the moment. Uh, but they scored 10 on Rayo Vallecano. Um, it, it, it helps when two players are sent off inside of half an hour. Uh, it helps you if you have the firepower in Real Madrid to go score 10. First time a La Liga team has scored 10 in a match since 1960. Gareth Bale scored four of those goals. Uh, so a good day for the Welshman there. All right, let's set this up. Again, big day on soccer morning. We're going to be here all week. We'll be, well, we'll be here till Thursday, excuse me, obviously. Thursday morning will be the last show of the week. But we have two very good guests lined up for you today. Ross Dunbar will join us. He covers German football for many outlets, including Fox Soccer. And then Simon Evans will join us to talk about the FIFA scandal, um, uh, following Ross. Two very good guests. After that, we will open up the phone lines, give you a chance to jump in. Maybe your Christmas vacation has already started. You're free to pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll talk about anything that's in, that's happening in the soccer world. Hell, we'll talk about whatever is happening anywhere for that matter. It's one of those kinds of weeks. Good to have you here on Soccer Morning. Here we go. Coming up, Ross Dunbar, German football, then Simon Evans. FIFA scandal. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning on a Monday, deep into December. And what that means in Germany is that uh, they're going to take a break for a while. They'll stop playing uh, Bundesliga soccer, but they'll come back. We're going to take stock of the league and certainly talk about the big news out of Bayern Munich uh, as uh, Pep Guardiola steps aside coming this summer with Ross Dunbar, who you can find on Twitter at RossDunbar93. Uh, writes for Fox Soccer and uh, does some other things as well. Hi, Ross. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. How are yourself? I'm doing well. I'm ready for you know. I'm ready for Christmas. I guess I'm ready for. Uh, I don't know. I'm not ready for the Bundesliga break. I suppose, but they are. I'm sure at the, after a, a half of a season so far. Let, let's go. Let's talk about Pep Guardiola though. Um, you and I recently spoke. This was, um, I think, rumored. Everybody said this was coming. I think Build had it ahead of. Uh, you know, what's Bild says it, pretty much everybody accepted his, his gospel, and, and here it is. Uh, they've announced that Pep's leaving in the summer and Carlo Ancelotti comes in. Um, just uh, give me your assessment of this, Ross. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it took me a while to kind of come up with an opinion because it's quite a, it's quite a shift from, you know, Guardiola to Ancelotti. I mean, I think Guardiola, um, has really transformed Bayern's uh, style of play. He's brought his own tactics and his own philosophy to the game. With Ancelotti, I, I suspect that Bayern won't change a lot. It looks to me like it's very similar to um, when Jupp Heynckes came in at Bayern Munich. He is a safe pair of hands. He's the guy who will keep everyone motivated. He's a guy who can uh, bring a little bit of composure, maybe, in the Champions League. Um, so I can see why. However, 
I mean, a guy who's 56 years old um, looks to me like a little bit of a stopgap appointment. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I, I'm I'm not sure that it's maybe the best the best candidate for Bayern at the moment. I mean, I, I would be interested to know maybe what you think. I haven't spoken to anyone else about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, to me, I think... A guy who has been around the block, he's he's done his thing. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't look to me as if it's the guy who could take Byron to, to to the next level as opposed to where they are now. Yeah, you know, again, I mean, I think um, it, it, it seems that the, as though there's a, a small group of of candidates possible. I mean, you're not going out of a certain box if you're Bayern Munich because of the size of the club, because of the ambitions. You want somebody who has who has been there, who who knows. You know, certainly knows how to handle a club of that size. I imagine that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Ancelotti is is great. At, you know, at mediating between you know sporting directors and presidents. Of course, he worked under Berlusconi at AC Milan for had ten years or whatever, and had so much great success. He's worked with Florentino Perez. He's worked with uh, the guys at, at PSG, Roman Abramovich as well at Chelsea. So he has basically worked with as many oligarchs as you can think of. So going to Bayern Munich, I'm not sure he'll have any problems working with Matthias Sammer, the sporting director, or uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, the chairman. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you make a good point there about having the experience at the highest level because, you know, while I think Pep Guardiola has done a, a good job at Bayern Munich, I think you, you can't ignore the two semi-finals in the last two years where he took a tactical gamble at the wrong time and it really didn't pay off. You know, we we saw against Real Madrid, uh, they went from a normal four two three one formation to a four two four. He listened to his players, and and obviously that backfired. And against Barcelona, uh, he went three v three against Messi, Suarez, and Neymar, uh, and that obviously was a risky move as well. So I, I'm not sure Ancelotti would make such big gambles in those games, and maybe that's something that you know will will, will be an advantage to him. Does this, um, you know, does this, does this benefit the, the club, this team, um, for the, the balance of this season with the, with the trophies they have in play, with the, 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 the goals that they have? Does this make it, does it give them a little bit more incentive to go and finish the job under Pep or is it the opposite? You could look at it either way. I mean, the Bayern message has been that uh, the the decision is not going to affect the performance of the players. It's not going to affect the motivation. Actually, the message from them is that it's going to help and it's going to be an incentive to finish the job. I mean, Rummenigge said that in an ideal world, Pep would leave with Bayern having won the treble, which would be obviously the league, the German Cup and the, and the Champions League. However, I mean, we spoke about it last time um, that... I, I'm not sure this is a good thing necessarily for Bayern to to announce that your manager is going to be leaving in six months' time. I mean, uh, you know, as I said, if, if if Pep Guardiola doesn't win the Champions League, which very high expectations, people will use that stick to beat him. People will say, well, you know, what about the mentality of the players? Was it an attitude problem? That kind of thing. And I think Guardiola is kind of leaving himself open a little bit to extra criticism when he doesn't really need it because the, the German media does look at him I think I think in a very in a very harsh way you know he, he he does get criticism for really basic things and I think this is a another example where if he doesn't win things or dominate in a way that Bayern would expect then he might get that kind of flat coming his way and, and we've we've already talked a bit about what's next for for Pep Guardiola I I'm I mean, okay. Look, uh, you know, obviously he did, he achieved all of those things at Barcelona. That was his club. That uh, it was his home. He decided he wanted to take on a new challenge. I don't begrudge him that fact or that that opportunity, Ross. But at the same time, now he's become, you know, he's become y- y- yet another you know journeyman manager who's going to bounce around from club to club. And and again, now he's established that he's at that level, the Barcelona Bayern Munich level. There's only three, four, five clubs in the world that he can continue to to to, to have a career at. Yeah, yeah, I was listening to um, to Graham Hunter on on the BBC, and he, made, he said exactly the same thing. He said that you know Pep Guardiola's ambitions were like after Barcelona to to manage uh, Manchester United and to manage the Brazilian national team. So apart from that, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. You know, he's he's done almost everything. But it's a sign, I guess now it's a sign of the times that you know these coaches are working only in two or three year kind of blocks. I think that was one of the big discussions um, around Jose Mourinho's departure from Chelsea, that it's probably the end of that kind of 
dynastic kind of football manager. Okay, Arsene Wenger is probably the last of that kind of type. That, that kind of type. But we're now seeing that is almost being completely extinguished from top level European football. You, I mean, we're now looking at clubs who have structures already in the in, in the club like Bayern Munich for example have Matthias Sammer the sporting mm. director he is the guy who is the heart and soul of that organisation you have Mikhail Rechke who's the technical director the guy who would go out and sign the players and it doesn't matter what's going to happen with the head coach these are the guys who will always be there and I think there is obviously advantages to having that kind of structure which I'm not really too sure you have in England because you know if Louis van Gaal was to leave Manchester United all of his work, all of his ideas, all of his coaching staff, all of his contacts would all go. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a a core structure already in place at that football club. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting to see how that's changed over the last ten years. Well, I mean, is there? Uh, I mean, this is going to widen out this conversation, but it seems to me that, and this is just a very facile uh, assessment, Ross. So if I'm wrong, you could tell me. But it seems as though there's a tradition in Germany of of former players, of, of people who had been in the game, moving into those positions, moving to the sporting director position, moving into an executive position, rather than just going into the touchline and, and coaching. Whereas I'm not sure that that's the case in England as much. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, I, I read a really good uh, article um, ahead of the German FA's Science Congress in January, and one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to bring in like a, a coaching qualification for anybody who wants to be a sporting director. So any of the Bundesliga sporting directors would have to go through a set of exams, a set of, uh, they'd have to have certain background, whatever. That's a very interesting development. We're now seeing that actually the, the German clubs are, um, yeah, I mean, they're trying to make the, the club management a little bit more academic. Then it's not just, oh, we, we've, we've got football men in charge. Right. They want it, They want guys who have the right background and you look at guys for example uh, at Bayern Munich Matthias Sammer has has been to university he's been to the DFB uh, working in youth development so he's got a great background before him Christian Nellinger was the sporting director he uh, got a degree from uh, Munich Business School of course he was a great player in his time as well so it's very interesting to see that people are going down that route after their career and not just maybe, you know, going into coaching and maybe yeah. being coaching in the in the yeah. in the youth department of, of a football club. They're actually going down the route of, of getting the right qualifications to be a, a sporting director. And again I, again, I think that's a very unique thing in Germany. Yeah, I mean, it, it's happening here in the States, obviously much younger league and, and players who are far from the same kind of um, uh, notoriety of, as the German players who are doing it. But it, it is interesting just whether or not English football can because it seems it it does seem to be a disconnect. Sometimes the uh, you know the, the 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 figures who overtake the 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 managers at an English club tend to be business figures. Tend to be uh, you know they're they're different kinds of individuals. Uh, I'm not making a value judgment necessarily, Ross. I'm just kind of pointing this out. And um, now that we look at again going back to Pep and and what his next step is, uh, is it is that is there is there for you is there a bit of um. I don't know. Again, I don't know if I uh, if I want to make a value judgment about these two or three year blocks. But if we're if that's what we've got now, then that that certainly changes the character of some of these clubs. That you know, when when you have Alex Ferguson in one place for for twenty five years, that 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 creates a feeling around Manchester United that can't be replicated if you're going to turn over a manager every two or three years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think I mean I, I I don't know if you would agree, but I think stability is one of the the, the most underrated kind absolutely. of tenements to getting success. Absolutely. I mean, I know that sometimes you have to pull the plug on a manager if it's not happening. But if if you have uh, a sense of famili- familiarity and you have a sense of leadership at that football club for 10, 15 years, I think that can be a really big advantage. And Sir Alex Ferguson is a, is a, is a great example. But, I mean, even at Barcelona, the, the kind of model that they've had over the last 10, 15 years, they've had guys who understand the football club. They understand how things work. So, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I think, I think now we're seeing that... You know, it's it's like almost like a three-year maximum for for uh, coaches, and I, and I certainly think that Pep Guardiola, having experienced a bad 
fourth year at Barcelona, I think he's going to be very strict and say, look, I'm only going to do three years here and that's it. I'm out regardless of what happens. And I don't, I, I'm not really too sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, I suppose. But um, I, I, as you say, I think I think you might see a situation where clubs will have maybe two or three years of, of really a high-level performance and then yeah. they might drop off for another two or three years and, and that should be very interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the uh, coaching has always been a, a mercenary uh, a vocation, Ross, but it just it, it seems that especially at the top levels where we're getting something that's um, – I, I don't want to say that it's unseemly, but it just doesn't feel – there's no depth to it. I mean, these these guys are literally coming in. They're asked to, to take a, a, an incredibly rich collection of talent because the, the talent has only been consolidated in the top 10 or 12 teams in Europe. And, you know, they, we're going to start to see – you know, we're going to see the same the same clubs in those those finals. We're going to see Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and maybe PSG, who's, I guess, quote-unquote new. But, again, that's about money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Again, one of the things that's came out of the the Chelsea debate with Jose Mourinho is that I think now we're entering a a definite era of player power. You know, the players are really are they really are the most important thing at a football club. You know, they if if they don't like the manager, they just won't play, and and the manager is the guy who will have to be sacked or you know take the flight from the press and and again even when I look at Barcelona and and Luis Enrique for example I know that I'm not going to say he's not a great manager but I kind of wonder how much influence Luis Enrique actually has on that team because you've got Messi, Suarez and Neymar I mean you've got three outstanding players who will win you games and so I think we are entering that phase now where actually it's the quality of the players that's probably the most important thing now and okay you'll have teams like uh, Atletico Madrid under Simeone and uh, Thomas Tuchel for for example in Germany who who really kind of buck the trend and that will distinguish them from the rest but I think you can see that there is becoming a a kind of hierarchy now in football. That, but but, that then, but but even then, Ross, I mean, a, 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 a coach like like Simeone, okay, and and he's still there, and and who knows, maybe that'll last. But he's been linked to Chelsea. I'm not saying he's going to end up at Chelsea, but he's been linked to Chelsea as a target yeah. there. So uh, the, even when these, even when a manager comes up, takes it an unfancy team or a team that's not supposed to compete on that level, does something remarkable. I mean, Jose Mourinho with Porto in 2004. Yeah. Uh, they are then co-opted. Whether uh, they they choose to be in most cases because the money and the fame, but they are then co-opted by that 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 top class uh, of of clubs, and then just become another manager rolling through club after club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, that's that's how football has has worked. Now. I, mean, I, 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 yeah. I can I can I think. I mean, people say that football is a meritocracy and that you can rise to the top kind of authentically or, or through hard work but I think nowadays it's becoming very difficult to, to do that and you can see that in the Champions League you know people one thing people complained about in the Champions League draw was that it's the same the same teams playing each other it's the same games and that perhaps is, is leading to a sense of that it's, it's quite boring you know but yeah. Um, yeah I think I think that's a good point that you make yeah all right so let's uh, let's look at the league table right now Bayern Munich obviously uh, clear at the top um, by uh, by eight points now. I mean, we had talked about it being five points. They they've got uh, a bit of more of a cushion as they go into into the break, and and now you know we get a month of talking about Pep Guardiola's future, I suppose. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that is that that's the the one thing that's going to rumble on, I think, until the end of the season. And unfortunately, I I think since we last spoken, I think the title race is pretty much all but gone now. I, I can't see Bayern. Uh, dropping enough points for Dortmund to come back and win it. I mean, that was the one thing about Borussia Dortmund is that there's a real kind of propensity to have uh, just a really bad day at the office. And that game on on Saturday at Cologne, they were very lucky not to lose that game three or four one. Uh, and I think it probably shows you that Dortmund have still got a little bit to go to catch Bayern. But I, I must admit, I think with Guardiola. Um, leaving in the summer, I think there might be a little opportunity there for for Dortmund to push Bayern a little bit harder next season. I'm interested to see how Ancelotti, uh, you know, comes into Bayern, how he adapts to German football. Because I think one of the overrated, the underrated things, sorry about Guardiola, is that when things aren't going well, when Bayern aren't playing well, and that that happens very often. He can change matches by making a little tactical change. He can, you know, he can really. Um, 
really upset the opposition by by bringing on a player off the bench. And I'm not sure Ancelotti is that type of manager. I don't I don't really recall that from his time at Real Madrid and his time at Chelsea that he was a real kind of a real kind of in game kind of tinker type type type, type coach. Yeah. And that's what Guardiola has obviously is a big skill set for him. Mm. All right, so uh, you know, as you said, maybe maybe not this season. We'll see if Dortmund can uh, can get closer next year. But 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 in the meantime, where you know where is the intrigue in the table? Hertha Berlin's in third place at the break. Yeah, I mean that's that's one really interesting storyline because obviously you know Berlin, the capital of Germany, has, has never really had a a football club to match the size of its of its population and the size of its, of its importance in Germany. But Hertha Berlin this season have really turned things around. And I think the formula is, is quite simple. I mean, they have just been very consistent and they've got some decent players. I mean, uh, you know, Verane um mm-hmm. from Stuttgart is a very kind of proven kind of Bundesliga striker. He scored a lot of goals at Stuttgart and Hoffenheim. Solomon Kalou, former Chelsea player, um, vastly experienced, of course. Um, they've got guys like Vladimir Darida, who's a really good Czech midfielder, um, a guy who could play Champions League football quite comfortably, I think. And so they've just been very consistent. And obviously they're being helped by the fact that they've got a little advantage over Wolfsburg and Gladbach and Leverkusen and Schalke, who are all... They're almost competing with each other to finish in the top four. Hertha have already got a three, four, five, six point advantage. So that's, you know, massive credit to what Paul Dardai has done there at Hertha. I mean, I must admit, I think it would be interesting to see perhaps Hertha Berlin against Leicester City in the Champions League next season. That would be a... Certainly against the greens. Wouldn't that be hilarious? I, you know, um, obviously it'd be great. <laughs> and, 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 you know, for all this talk that I've, for, for everything I've said so far, Ross, about the, the elite class and, and as you said, the same clubs playing each other in the same games year after year in the Champions League, we do have a couple of those, you know, we have a couple of flies in the ointment, as people might say here. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, I mean, Leicester's obviously way overachieving at the top of the English table, but, uh, but even a, a club like Hertha, Breaking up the the usual party. I I I hope I I'm I'm too cynical to believe they're definitely going to do it, Ross. But uh, but I have at least I have some hope. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you use a good word. I think they are almost overachieving. Uh, I mean, I saw that Fox, for example, used Michael Cali's expected goals metric in their in their coverage at the weekend. I don't know if you saw that. No. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah. They they don't really seem to create these great chances consistently. It seems to be very kind of average around the box type 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 efforts, and I think you can see that they don't really have a great deal of quality. They're just very, very efficient. I mean, they're taking something like 60-70% of their shots on goal at the moment, which is, is quite a, a high record, and I don't think they're going to be able to sustain that over the course of a over the season, um, but I mean, even if even if Hertha was to finish in Europe, even if they finished fifth yeah. or sixth or seventh, that would be pr- a, quite an impressive achievement, I think. Yeah. You know, and and <laughs> I I'm not a stats guy in general. I mean, I can appreciate the use of stats. I can't yeah. begin to understand how you re- you come to expected goals and all of that. Uh, but at the and, and this is not a lament against them. I'm not saying anybody should ignore them or we should stop using them. But you know, eh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Hertha Berlin's in third place. You just go, oh, this is amazing. And you, you might identify it as overachieving, but you don't exactly have a way to measure their overachieving. And, yeah. And then now, again, to, it's, it's a cynicism that creeps in because, oh, well, look, they're, they're scoring more than the stats say they should. And that's, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope, I hope they continue to overachieve. I hope they can continue that over the yeah. course of the, the, the whole season. Yeah, no, exactly. I completely, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, yeah, it was you guys that have brought the statistics into football. We, 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 have, we, we generally don't bother with this kind of thing. But I mean, I look at someone like Jamie Vardy, for example, in England, and I keep hearing that he's a top class striker. And whenever I watch him play, I just, I just don't know. I, I look at him and I think I'm not really too sure that you are what your goal record is reflecting. Do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes statistics can have massive benefits in terms of, you know, if you can see that somebody is hitting those kind of numbers consistently, then you know that that player is obviously of a genuine quality. But if a player is only doing it over, you know, six, seven weeks, then you have to maybe have a little bit of of doubt about that. So it does have its advantages. But I mean, I I still still, um, think that certainly in the analytics community, there's a little bit of a... I would say an arrogance about it, you know, okay, we're right, you're wrong type thing, but I don't think football's like that. I think there's a an element of fortune, a little bit of luck in it sometimes, yeah. and yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to see how it develops, but I don't think you can make 100% decisions out of just numbers alone, certainly no, in sure. football. And, and, and look, I mean, we, we, I'm, I'm, 
you know, luck is something you can't account for, uh, but luck tends to run out, and the, and the, the more talented teams tend to tend to run out, uh, win out. That that isn't always the case, and and maybe we will certainly be rooting for uh, Hertha as an underdog and Leicester as an underdog. Um, speaking of of players who maybe are good strikers or are are quality and, and have shown it, uh, again, Chicharito Hernandez doing it for Bayer Leverkusen this weekend. Yeah, I mean, this guy's his, his goal record just continues to be amazing. I mean, uh. I think the numbers now are something like 17, 18 goals in 14 games, something like that. It's just incredible. Um, and he, the, the, I think it would be worrying for Leverkusen that all, almost all of their goals are coming from Javier Hernandez right now. I mean, they, okay, when you have a player like that, it's, it's fantastic that you can rely on him. But, you know, this is the reason why they, they got knocked out of the Champions League. You, you know, you can't be reliable on just one player to score your goals. I mean, guys like Chalanoglu and Bellarabi are not, are not really delivering on that front. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very... Um, He's been a great signing for 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 Bayer Leverkusen, and as we said last time, I think I think that will be great for the Mexican national team when they have a player like him playing, you know, top level European football, scoring goals week in week out. And um, I mean, I think I think the Bundesliga and the DFL was actually making a, an effort to try and break into that market. I think they're actually trying to break into that Mexican market, well, that, which is quite interesting. That brings me to uh, the transfer of Marco Fabian from Chivas de Guadalajara yeah. to Eintracht Frankfurt. Is that a direct? Is that a direct result of Chicharito Hernandez having so much success? Yeah, I would, I would, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about him, but um, I've heard that he's a bit of a, a bit of a colourful character, a colourful type of player, and that's that's good for the Bundesliga. And you know, you look at what they've done with Chicharito on their website, for example, in English, they've they're really pushing this Mexican uh, and kind of Spanish speaking image. They're really trying to make that happen, and you and I think you've seen that with with Japanese players over the last maybe five, six years, I think Shinji Kagawa was a real kind of groundbreaker in that respect because he came in uh, from from the J-League and he made a massive impact. And, you know, when Dortmund were able to see thousands upon thousands of, of Japanese fans going to Signal Iduna Park every couple of weeks, they could see that there was money to be made. And now you're beginning to see, you know, you ha- well, you have seen a, a real kind of wave of Japanese players come to Germany. I mean, there are obviously former German players who played in Japan. They were, they're well uh, well connected, for example, and these are the guys who are bringing Japanese players to to Germany. And we're seeing that if you're a young player in the J League, you're not thinking about playing for Chelsea or for uh, for Arsenal. You're thinking about playing for Dortmund or Bayern Munich. And I think that's a good thing for the Bundesliga. And it'll be interesting to see if they can do that in in Mexico. But I mean, I would imagine they would be up against you know young kids who want to play for Barcelona and Real Madrid, and that's always going to be the the big challenge for a team like Bayern or Dortmund or Leverkusen in that kind of Mexican market. Yeah, the the the, the you know Mexico does not have a, a huge tradition of exporting players. I mean, obviously, um, you, you have some some notable names in in the past, but you you yeah, it, it's something especially in a, in a place like Germany. Maybe that doesn't obviously follow, but there's an opportunity there. There's lots lots of talent in Mexico. Clearly, Ross. Um, let's um, let's take a look. Uh, let's look at the bottom of the table uh, with the window coming up, the transfer window, uh, January transfer window coming up, and uh, again, whether or not we see a lot of activity, you'll certainly see some clubs try to make a couple of signings here or there, maybe shore up their their depth or, or find a player who can score some goals. I, I'm looking at this when I see when I see Werder Bremen at, at the bottom, and, and you know, obviously Americans, we have a an interest there because of Aaron Johansson and his continuing injury problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've watched a little bit of Werder Bremen in the last few weeks, and obviously he's not been involved in the in, in the selection. And uh, I must admit, I would be quite worried for any of those bottom four or five teams because the the relegation race uh, this season is wide open. I mean, I still think that Darmstadt and Ingolstadt, the two teams who were promoted this season from the second division, I still think both of those sides will be in and around the bottom three at the end of the season. But for one, for for any of those teams, Werder Bremen, Hanover. Hoffenheim, uh, Stuttgart perhaps, I think we'll probably lose one of those teams at the end of the season. I mean, Stuttgart's win on Saturday uh, against Wolfsburg was an outstanding performance. I mean, uh, this is the kind of performance that we know Stuttgart are capable of. They've got a high wage bill. I think they've got something like the ninth or 10th biggest wage bill in the in the Bundesliga. They, they've got international standard players. And so they... They should be out of the, the the race for relegation, but I mean, it's that's the thing. It's still wide open, and you look at Augsburg, for example. Augsburg were bottom of the league three or four weeks ago, and now they've won, I think, three of the last four games. They've beaten Schalke, they've beaten Hamburg away, and now they're they're out of it, and they've got 
you know, European football to look forward to after after Christmas. So I think a lot of these teams are now beginning to pick up form, and and I think the the winter break will be an advantage because they'll be able to work, you know, away, and they'll be able to work on the training pitch. And German coaches always talk about the opportunity to work. You know, on training just for three or four weeks, mm-hmm. and I think you'll see, um, you know, a lot of these teams improve over the over the next few months. And it'll be interesting to see, as you say, you know, which clubs actually make moves in the transfer market because German clubs are not really um, known for making late late deals. They don't like to make late deals towards deadline day. I mean, we don't really have that kind mm-hmm. of deadline day extravaganza that you have in the UK but I think they'll try to do deals as early as possible so that you know they, they have the time to integrate themselves within the squad. There's no German analogue for Jim White that doesn't happen? What, what's happening? No? Well, they, this year this year they started to do that, and uh, it was it was a pretty simple thing. They, they just called it Dare Deadline Day, almost. And um, <laughs> I mean, obviously they're trying to copy it from the English side of things, but it didn't have the same excitement no. with German clubs not signing any players on the last day of the of the window. Well, is that uh, very quickly? Is that is that a, uh, an issue of conservatism or an issue of of cash? Is an issue of not wanting to pay the premium that's that that comes with January transfers? Um, I think I think for a couple of reasons. I think um, if you if you listen to German sporting directors, they will always talk very negatively about the kind of money that you have in England and how that leads to almost panic buying. If you're a team that's you know out of form and you have an extra ten million quid to spend in the bank, then you're you're going to spend that on a on a player. You know you're not gonna you're not gonna throw a young player in from your academy. You're going to go out and sign someone high quality um, and of course I think German clubs like to have their business in place they like to have the foundations and the structure in place and all that kind of thing so um, I, I guess there's an element of, of, of kind of German business practice to it as well. Yep. Ross Dunbar covering German football talking German football go follow him on Twitter Ross Dunbar 93 also uh, Fox Soccer Ross appreciate the time um, hopefully we'll talk to you but if not have a have a good uh, Christmas and a new a good new year. Cheers, thank you, all the best guys There goes Ross Dunbar, good stuff from him Fantastic from Ross Dunbar When we come back, Simon Evans Live from Zurich, we'll talk FIFA And the scandal And Zeb Blatter and Michelle Platini Don't go anywhere, Soccer Morning WorldSoccerTalk.com Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning, and as you may have heard, things are happening in Zurich surrounding the FIFA scandal. Uh, FIFA Ethics Committee making decisions on uh, Sepp Blatter and Michelle Platini, and to talk about that and the responses uh, from both of those men. Simon Evans joins us now live from Zurich. Hi, Simon. How are you? Very well, thanks, Jason. Yourself? I'm doing well. So Simon is there with Reuters, and Simon, um, you, you know, there was there was already word that these bans were going to be lengthy. Uh, that has certainly colored how these men have responded. Uh, it's interesting to note the difference in their responses. Yeah, absolutely. Eight years for for each of them. Um, in 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 Seb Blatter's case, he 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 gave a press conference at the old FIFA headquarters just down the road from from where FIFA are based now. Um, quite a rambling, strange sort of press conference where he sort of littered littered his defiance and his anger with with some uh, strange, at times incomprehensible comments about Nelson Mandela and, and various other issues. But basically saying that the FIFA's ethics committee had no right to go after the FIFA president and that in any case he'd done nothing wrong. Michel Platini preferring a statement, a short statement uh, through UEFA and also through his lawyers. Both of them are talking about appealing these decisions, of course, um, and they do have those options uh, to do that. And Seth Blatter, interestingly, talking about using the Swiss courts. And uh, as people who follow FIFA affairs will know, um, over the years, FIFA has taken a, a very uh, strong line against anyone using civil courts to resolve disputes in football. So it's rather ironic that at this time Seth Blatter is suggesting that he may well do exactly that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's again an instance, uh, an opportunity for Seth Blatter to, to uh, shift blame and to, to, to basically say he has no 
uh, responsibility to make sure that FIFA is, stays clean, that it's not corrupt, and, and that he can't be held responsible for the actions of... I mean, I, again, we are, we've seen the same act over and over again. Is this, is this going to be, uh, the, the appeal notwithstanding, Simon, is this going to be the final act of, of Seb Blatter with FIFA? It's hard to see, you know, unless, obviously, if the appeals are overturned, he goes first to the FIFA Appeals Committee itself, and then if he loses there, he can go to the Court of Arbitration uh, for Sport in Lausanne, Switzerland, where, you know, things have been overturned before. Mohammed bin Hammam won his case there, and then the Ethics Committee came back and, and did him from something else as well and finished him off. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to see. Obviously, there is that process there, and, and that has to be respected, but, you know, the the clock is ticking towards that congress in february where fifa is due to elect another president and once that's done really what is there left for set blatter to fight for you follow simon on twitter at sg evans make sure you're doing that as he uh, has his dispatches from zurich revolving around uh, these bands now let's let's go back i mean the, the case is about this um um, it's a presidential advisory role that, uh, that Platini had at the end of the last century, and then he wasn't paid for it until 2011. Uh, it, again, we, we come to this situation where Seth Blatter is very much, um, he, he's very comfortable saying, just believe what I say, don't check up on anything I actually do. I, I, it's, um, you know, this, this particular case in, in eight years, is that, is that the right sort of, uh, move for FIFA? Is this, is this as much about the, uh, the 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 image of FIFA as it is about what these two individuals did outside of the ethics uh, of the organization. Well, to be fair, if we look at the detail of the judgment, um, without going into too much of it, what they say is that there was nothing in the case that they found regarding that payment that would be able to prove it was an act of corruption or bribery. That there was nothing. That the idea that this that uh, Blatter paid Platini this money to secure votes in the 2011 FIFA presidential election, that there was nothing there to suggest that was the case. Uh, had it been that case, they would have been facing life bans. So the eight-year bans, while in practice, you know, given their age, effectively uh, ends Blatter's and Platini's careers in football administration, is much lighter than, than what they could have get if it had been proven to be corruption. So what they've actually been done for is, is for failing in their fiduciary duties, not reporting things properly, um, that it was presented as a gift to Platini rather than a formal payment with a, a proper written contract and so on. And Blatter actually did, in the middle of this uh, rather odd briefing, uh, concede that it was an error not to have recorded this and made the payment you know, properly but, through the but, books but, and so on. But he said that wasn't an ethics case, that was an administrative administration matter, um, which is something, of course, which the ethics committee would strongly dispute. Sure. Well, I mean, look, he has a responsibility. I mean, this just speaks again to, um, you know, how protected some of these individuals, certainly Seth Blatter and some of these other individuals have been at the top of FIFA, where it doesn't, it almost didn't matter what they did. They thought they, they, they didn't have, whether he was actively being corrupt or not, is sort of beyond the point if he did not follow the, the strict guidelines that should be dictating the FIFA presidential role. Well, exactly. You know, you look at so many of these cases that we that we've had now. You look at the the casual way in which money was sent around. You look at all the Jack Warner cases that are under investigation, whether it be the money from South Africa, the money from Australia. Or, 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 or the television rights that he was given for a dollar by Seb Blatter. In all these cases, it, it does show a very casual attitude of just, you know, let's just send the cash over without having, you know, a really uh, normal uh, corporate approach to, to handling finances. And that's something that internally FIFA, to be fair, are dealing with now and making sure, and after all these cases, it would be pretty amazing if they weren't tightening up on those sort of things, wouldn't they, even FIFA? But... Um, but yeah, it just reveals a word where you know money money is slushed around far far too easily, and and that's what we're discovering more and more about as these cases unfold. Yes, I mean, the, and, and the thing that we are constantly aware of is that th we don't know what the end of this is. I mean, certainly the next uh, you know the, source, the next landmark along the way will be that FIFA presidential election early 2016, but. Beyond that, in terms of what, uh, you know, what the Department of Justice here in the States continues to do, uh, I've heard, I believe it was as recently as last week that, that some FIFA funds were frozen, 
um, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, this could unravel even further. Uh, so far enough, and, and we'll get to Platini in a second, far enough that whoever is president next doesn't, th- that might not even matter because FIFA will have some other, some further reckoning to do, uh, that could, uh, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the organization dissolves, Simon, but what is the end game? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question, really, how far does the Department of Justice want want to go with this? I mean, so far, all the cases that have, have come up have been cases that have been very much uh, within their jurisdiction that relate to, to deals done in the United States or money that moved through the United States and wire payments and so on. Um, there are, there are obviously, you know, there's been suggestions that they, that they are looking at Blatter themselves and Jerome Velker and, and, and the South African payment. There may be a way that they can get into that issue. Um, certainly was hinted at in the last indictment document that came out of the DOJ. So who knows where all that's going to go and where, uh, where it leaves FIFA. I mean, obviously what FIFA have been trying to do since the arrests in May is to show the Department of Justice that they are being responsible, that they are taking action, that the cases of corruption were things that harmed FIFA rather than reflect FIFA being some sort of organized crime association itself. Um, whether that changes is really the crucial factor at the moment. Formally, FIFA is the victim of all this corruption in in the legal terms, as strange as it sounds to some, sometimes to the ear. But um, you know, if if that was to change from the Department of Justice, and I think that's really the only thing from 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 the U.S. that could happen is if that changed and they started to look at FIFA as as being effectively a mafia organization or a mafia-like organization. And then there's the Swiss authorities, of course, as well, who are have got criminal investigations into into the Blatter Platini payment and are looking at a whole range of other issues. And in Switzerland, they have the power to look at FIFA's status as an association and, and whether whether it should keep that. I mean, neither of those organizations, either the Swiss or the U.S. authorities, have said anything clear that they would make those kind of moves, but they're clearly in the background as, a, as something that FIFA would be concerned about. All right, so, um, Simon, what what is... You know what? Between now and 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 uh, I believe late late February is the is the um, election. What do we? I mean, we we obviously again, Michel Platini is effectively eliminated from that from that uh, race as long as um, as long as he's had a, has a ban, he can appeal it. But will that even come close to being done in time for him to to be involved? And then where does that leave the election? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, the bookmaker's favorite is Sheikh Salman from Bahrain. Um, there's Janine Fantino from UEFA, who's in the race as well. Uh, Jerome Schalke and, uh, sorry, Jerome Champagne and uh, Prince Ali as well in the battle. So, I mean, that election, really nothing changes as a result of this. Um, Platini is no nearer getting back into the race. In fact, he's further away. And, of course, Blatter has no influence over it, no direct influence anyway. So, I mean, at the moment, all the indications are that, you know, Sheikh Salman, the, the president of the Asian Football Confederation, looks the favorite to win the next election, which is going to be, uh, you know, an interesting thing because he really hasn't said much about what he wants to do so far. It just, yeah, we, we know it's about, uh, you know, consolidating those votes behind the scenes, not necessarily public face, although uh, Platini has been out there uh, publicly, Simon. What, so what, what does this mean for... It, I don't have any understanding. What does this mean for, for Platini and his role with UEFA? He's, he's, he obviously cannot be UEFA president if he's banned from football. No, I mean, if he doesn't get it overturned, I mean, you know, UEFA has been as good to Michel Platini as I think they could be in the circumstances of not replacing him really as president uh, while he was suspended, waiting and waiting, but at a certain point in time if he's banned for football for eight years and he doesn't win those appeals, then you know, UEFA is going to have to have another president and there's going to be, you know, quite a lot of questions asked, I would have think, within UEFA about, uh, you know, what direction they should be going in and their relationship with FIFA and, and what they should be doing because UEFA doesn't really have that kind of, you know, They've lectured FIFA about things over the years, but actually, you know, FIFA's the one that seems to have now um, an independent ethics committee that, that's rooting out problems. There's no such structure really within UEFA, so that that's going to be 
one of the issues UEFA has to address. And, and actually, you know, the fallout from this, I think, you know, we haven't even got started with it. You know, how 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 is this going to affect Concacaf in in, in in our region? You know, are, yeah. are the, is Concacaf going to be able to just elect another president and carry on as though nothing's happened with its last three presidents have been arrested? You know, I mean, yeah. the fallout is going to continue for a long time on this. We're really not anywhere near the end of it. Yeah, I mean, you you have these you you have these independent, so to speak, sort of bodies, although they're all part of the same group. But in in, in CONCACAF specifically, since you mentioned it, Simon, uh, we've we've heard that they're not going to elect a, uh, or they're not going to fill the presidential post via the the bylaws. They're going to wait until they can hold an election. Do, do, what does that what does that say for you? I mean, what does that say about CONCACAF's position at this point? Again, having the last three presidents end up in uh, either indicted or in jail. Well, I think it tells us that there's 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 a, uh, behind the scenes in Concacaf the the picture I get there's quite a lot of tension there at the moment because certainly some people in the Caribbean are wondering how long the organisation can go on. You know they've had uh, they haven't re-elected a proper executive committee. They're just people who were left or from from uh, you know they haven't replaced the people who were arrested. They haven't got a president at the moment. They haven't got a fixed date yet for a congress. Um, so the pe- people are, you know, within, within Concacaf, I know there are some people saying, well, how long is this going to go on for? We're going to have six months without a leader. Are we going to really wait until May to the Congress? Maybe some people, you know, I've heard some whispers that, and uh, nothing more than whispers, really, that some people pushing for an earlier Congress and, and all kinds of tension over, you know, who's to blame for the mess that Concacaf's in. Um, there's always been a little bit of a tension there between the the three component parts of CONCACAF, you know, the North American, the Central American, and the Caribbean. And uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see whether CONCACAF can come out of this whenever they have a Congress next year with a reformed structure and with, you know, a, a united structure where everyone's happy working together. I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's difficult because really in all of this, the most extreme uh, case is that of CONCACAF to have lost so many of their top officials, Commerball also, but but really, you know, CONCACAF's going to have to take a long, hard look at how, how it organizes itself. Again, you know, does it have its own ethics committee? Has it done enough in the past to, to root out people? It obviously hasn't. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and, and those two, <laughs> CONCACAF and Commonwealth, getting in bed together for the Copa America, which we're all excited for, but uh, recognize it has many uh, perhaps uh, issues behind the scenes. Simon Evans in Europe, in Zurich right now, uh, there for the announcement of the bands for Michelle Platini and, and Seb Blatter. Uh, Simon, enjoy your, uh, tri- enjoy your trip, and thank you very much for your time, and hopefully we'll have you on soon. Okay, look forward to that. Cheers, Jason. There goes uh, Simon Evans. Great stuff from him. As uh, good guy, Simon Evans. Let's check. Let's take a step aside. We'll come back. We'll open the phone lines up. We'll talk to you on a Monday. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Wide awake in the middle of the desert heat. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back. It is Monday. It is Soccer Morning. It is WorldSoccerTalk.com. And, man, we've given you a lot to uh, chew on today. A lot of information, a lot of good analysis, uh, as it were. German football with Ross Dunbar. Uh, Zurich and the, sorry, the FIFA scandal with our friend Simon Evans. Good stuff there as well. I mean, bad stuff. Good talking about it. Good analysis, like I already said. And now the phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. If you want to change the subject, if you prefer not to talk about Sepp Blatter, Michelle Platini, FIFA corruption, D- dirty dealings, done dirt cheap, whatever, all that stuff. If you'd rather not talk about that, then now's your chance to get in and change the subject. Maybe you want to talk about Marco Fabian going to Eintracht Frankfurt. No? 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 Anybody? No? No? Maybe you want to talk about, uh, what else is on the, what else happened? Maybe I want to talk about the Premier League right now because 
Good Lord. It's getting fancy over there. Things are things are all over the place. Uh, Leicester continuing to win. Uh, Arsenal and Manchester City playing today. If Arsenal wants to be in touching dist- within touching distance of Leicester, they kind of need a win today. At home against Manchester City. Plus, they put some distance between themselves and Manchester City. Right now, Tottenham in fourth. Manchester United tied on uh, 29 points with Tottenham, but back, uh, you know, behind them in goal difference. Crystal Palace in sixth. Watford in seventh. What? Who? Watford? West Ham in, in eighth. Liverpool all the way down to ninth now after that destruction by Watford. And at the bottom of the table, Aston Villa again. I'm very sad about Aston Villa. I'm just very sad. Robert in L.A. is just blowing me up on Twitter. He wants me to talk about Jimmy Hill. Uh, Jimmy Hill, former player, coach, match of the day host, one-time ref, extended, uh, sorry, ended, <coughs> excuse me, campaign to end the maximum wage for players in England. Uh, transitional, transitional, transformative figure, Jimmy Hill. I, I don't know much about him, okay? I'll admit. So, Robert, when I bring him up, I bring him up only because you want me to. And because, yeah, he was important to the game, but I don't know a lot. Of, I, I, I need to read about Jimmy Hill, okay? So, they played, played, uh, years and years and years for Fulham. Played a little bit for Brentford before that. But mainly his name was made in broadcasting. Was a big, uh, one of the, the original sort of popular pundits in England. Had a reputation, this is directly from Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth. Had a reputation as an all-around innovator in football as well as helping get rid of the maximum wage. He commissioned the first English all-seater stadium, lifted a ban on media interviews, introduced the first electronic scoreboard in 1964, the first color match day program, and in 1965 was the first to show a live match via closed-circuit television on four giant screens at Coventry. He has been credited with the introduction of the three points for a win system pioneered by the FA in 1981. Also credited with the idea of using the first panel of football pundits for the 1970 World Cup. So there you go. Jimmy Hill. Uh, rest in peace. Died at the age of 87 uh, on uh, on Saturday. All right. Uh, Holden on Twitter. Holden Crib has uh, sent me an, an, an incredible story. Incredible story related to the FIFA nonsense, but but in a much better, more fun to talk about sort of way. Uh, this is <laughs> this is about the FIFA movie. What was it called, Trevor? You know, you saw it, right? United Colors. What was it called? United Passions. United Passions. They spent twenty-seven million dollars to make this movie. FIFA put a lot of the money into the to the into the film. FIFA itself paid for a lot of this because Seth Blatter wanted a propaganda film uh, based on FIFA and his story. Now, who played Seth Blatter in the movie? Anybody? Do you remember? Trevor, you know, right? Tim Roth. Tim Roth played Seth Blatter in the movie. Now you're like, wait a second. Like, like, like Tim Roth? Like the actual real, like that, that good, the guy from Pulp Fiction, or not from Pulp Fiction, the guy from Reservoir Dogs? Tim Roth? Like, the, oh, he was in Pulp Fiction too. That's forgot about that. That guy? Like, like, Decent actor, Tim Roth, that people actually like and enjoy. Why was he in this movie? Uh, he was in the movie because of the money. The film is awful. I hated doing it. It was the wrong film, but for the right reasons. I had two kids in college, so I had to make a decision. It was probably poorly judged. But once you make that decision, you have to follow through. It's a hard road being in something you don't want to do, but I'm glad I did it for my family. As for FIFA, I thought the movie would be much more about the corruption of this guy at first. I don't know if he's going to go down. He seems to have survived everything that has been thrown at him. There doesn't seem to be any way you can get to them because of all those big corporations behind them. It looks the most promising though uh, now, though. It looks, th- it looks like he is on the back foot now because he looks more exposed than he has ever been in the past. So Tim Roth, he took the money. He did the, did the thing for the money. I don't, I don't know what he got paid, by the way. Uh, always a good a good amount of cash. By the way, twenty seven million dollars to make United Passions. You know how much it made? First one, I I will take callers here. I would like to take some guests. Don't look it up. Call me up. 
Guess how much United Passions made? Because it is awesome. Awesomely bad. Awesomely awesomely good in the sense that we don't want FIFA to succeed in anything ever. Really. Here we go. Eight uh sorry, six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. I understand, look, it's a holiday week. It's you may already be on vacation. If you're not on vacation, it's very hard to concentrate at work. I mean, what gets done in corporate America on the Monday before Christmas? Anything? Anything at all? No, of course not. And 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 you should be listening to this show and you should be talking about soccer. United Passions, Tim Roth. David Beckham wants to sign Zlatan Ibrahimovic as his first player for the Miami team. <laughs> by that point, by that point, Zlatan's going to be 38 years old. Do we want a 38-year-old Zlatan in, in MLS? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Anybody? I love Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I share a birthday with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Slightly older, just like a year. I think I'm a year. No, I'm a couple years older. He'll be 30. Sorry, 33. He just turned 33. Let me check on Zlatan's age because I, I want to make sure I get this right. I always, I always forget how much older than Zlatan I, I am. Uh, Zlatan just turned 34. So I'm two years older than Zlatan. Let's go to Tyler in Virginia. Hey, Tyler. Hey, what's going on, Jason? Oh, man, it's Monday. What's going on with you? Uh, no, I just wanted to call and uh, throw you a guess about how much United Passions How much do you, how much do you think it made? Go ahead. Guess. Um, I'm gonna, I know, I know, I heard it was criminally low. I'm gonna say, uh, 100,000. Okay. You, 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 you went, if we're, if we're doing prices right rules, except this isn't a bidding situation, but if we did it, you'd be pretty close. It made 200,000 bucks. That's insane, by Ooh. the way. I mean, that's like, uh, how much are tickets these days? $10? Something like that for yeah. a movie ticket, right? I mean, you, 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 what? Like, really? I, I can't, I can't believe it only made, I mean, it, it must be dog doo doo. It must be the worst movie of, I don't know. All right, what else? You got anything else you want to talk about? Oh, yeah, no, uh, I heard you talking about, uh, Ebro to, uh, Miami, uh, with, with, with David Beckham and said, um, but, uh, I, I mean, I think that could be, uh, a, a solid little move. I don't know about how you feel about it. Well, I mean, again, Zlatan just turned 34 this year. So by the time they get that stadium built and that team off the ground, it'll be 2000, what, 18? So three yeah, years, yeah, from, right. three years from now, he'll be 30, he'll be 36, 37 years old. Is that, is that the kind of Zlatan you want? Um, well, it depends. Uh, I mean, like I said, obviously this is, uh, you know, speculative, but, I mean, if he can have the kind of impact that Drogba had in terms of, uh, being committed, uh, really bringing it every time he, uh, you know, steps on the pitch. Yeah, I hope so. Then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with it because, I, I mean, Ebra, Ebra's, Ebra's a strong enough, physical enough guy that he could probably handle, or at least I think he could, um, you know, playing in MLS at that older age. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, as you said, it's all about commitment, right? If he walks in, yeah. if he walks into that team and says, "I want to win things," and yeah, I know this isn't the level I used to play at, but I'm I'm ready to go, then it could be good. If he becomes Zlatan who wants to be on the beach most of the time, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ebra, he's an entertainer, so you know you're going to get you're going to get some headlines and some and some, uh, some some controversial comments and statements from him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun too. All right, Tyler, you got anything else? Nah, man. Have a good one. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, goes Tyler. Happy holidays, Tyler. Let's uh, check in with our man Bill up in New York. Hey, Bill. Jason, what's happening? Uh, you know, it's 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 FIFA nonsense. It's it's the week of you know this week of a holiday. I'm just I'm trying to stay on. I'm trying to stay focused, Bill. Well, now I've taken your advice in the past, and actually last weekend I watched the movie Screwed because you and Jared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared loves that movie. Now, did you take my advice and watch the Club World Cup? I, I, I did not. It was at 5.30 in the morning, Bill. You have a DVR. I know you have a DVR. Yeah, but I see, I, I, spend my, I, I typically spend my weekends away from home, so it, <laughs> it, 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 it becomes a, a situation where, unless I remember to do it on Friday, and I'm always rushed on Friday, 
then I, it doesn't get done, and then I don't have it to watch. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Bill, <laughs> my, you're like my a one man about ca- the game. All right, go ahead. Is there is there a player on Barcelona that wouldn't be a DP in MLS? No. It, it was insane. They just did so much better. The whole team. And then I know they're, they're talking about this, the guy Hill, who just passed away, and everything he's credited for. I'm not sure if you brought this up. I think they said he's credited for getting rid of the salary cap in England. Is that correct? Well, he's he's credited with um, pushing for the players to not be limited in their like. So basically, they had a you know it's it's one of those situations where back then, without the TV money involved, um, the owners were very. You know, just like baseball owners used to be very hard on players and you only could make so much money. I mean, people, people want to think of, of Ruth and Mantle and, and DiMaggio as, as these, they were world famous guys, but they weren't making nearly as much money as you think they, they should have been. And the reason was because the owners all colluded to make sure that these guys weren't making, um, you know, making that much money. The same thing was happening in England. It's a maximum wage thing. There was a cap on how much one player could make and he, he campaigned to have that removed. Because uh, he's the reason why that game was so lopsided, I think. Uh, well, it was just yeah, I mean, man for man, it was just so much better. Yeah, it's it's a matter of um, uh, it's a matter of the, the 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 again the money comes in and uh, and certain teams consolidating that money. I I don't know that it's a good thing, but yeah, it is what it is. And then River Plate finally gets a break and they get a, a great shot on goal, and the goalkeeper I'm, I'm forgetting his name right now makes an incredible save. So you have these three guys up front who can score off anybody, and then you finally get through, and then the goalie makes an incredible save on you. Nothing was working out for River Plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little background here, Bill. Um, so th- uh, there was a, a maximum wage in England until 1961, at which point it was abolished after Jimmy Hill, chairman of the Professional Footballers Association, threatened to strike. Before then, players earned a maximum of 20 pounds a week, uh, Roughly, I would say roughly 400 pounds in current money. That's it, a week, uh, which was then around the average wage for a British worker. In justifying the act, the strike, strike, strike action, one union representative stated that he admired people in the mining community, but it didn't mean they could cope with marking Stanley Matthews on a Saturday afternoon. So there you go. Uh, so, you know, it was, a, it was about, like, just an artificial cap on the, on, you know, it's a, essentially MLS has that now. I mean, there, there, there are, you can go above it for, for three players. Uh, but the MLS has a has a wage cap. Yeah, and with the, the salary cap with us, we us keep putting more money into the league, the, the TAM money and whatever else they have. Now, the players' union, they got to be ecstatic with this because they're not even – this isn't even a collective bargaining agreement and they're getting more and more money put towards the players. Mm. Are they saying anything about this? Uh, the, the, the head of the players' union, Bob Foose, said that – while he is glad they're putting more money into the player uh, salaries, that this is a this is convoluted and it's unnecessary. It's, it's too it's too it's too complicated. Basically, is what he said. Yeah, yeah. I can't follow it myself, yeah. Jason. Thank you very much. All right, Bill. That's good stuff from Bill. Uh, all right, that's a, that's a good place to wrap up this edition. We had two very excellent guests. Thank you very much to Ross Dunbar and Simon Evans for making their appearances on this program. Uh, I will implore you to follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Uh, go to iTunes and do that whole thing, the iTunes thing, and subscribe and stuff, and support World Soccer Talk, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. All right. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter, tell me why the